Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> ah, hello there. So pleased to see you return to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and today we've got a curious item indeed. If you'll take a look over here, we have what is bit of a natural history section if you look in this display case here there are skulls from various creatures throughout antiquity but it is this one over here that kind of stands out from the rest it is a human skull but if you'll notice the little nodes up on the top it looks almost as if there may have at one point been antlers on this human skull. And therein lies the query of today's episode of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. So let's pull out the mutoscope and take a look at season two of the Netflix series, Sweet Tooth. So, Sweet Tooth was a series that I really got into. The first season came out in June of 2021, and I just kind of fell in love with this show. It's, it's shows like Sweet Tooth that really made me decide to start doing this podcast. It's stuff like this that I really wanted to talk about and discuss my opinions and my thoughts on the show and and share, you know, my love and, and passion for for things like this. With, you know, this, you've got a, a great fantasy series. And I was not very familiar with with the Sweet Tooth, uh, well, Sweet Tooth is based on a comic book series from back in 2009. It ran through early 2013. Then they kind of had a, a bit of a revival of it in the in 2020. But when I found out that the series Sweet Tooth was based on a comic series, I thought, oh, that's really cool. I I like comic book adaptations, and while sometimes uh, they are done to mixed reviews. Uh, I'm, I'm still always interested to see, uh, you know, the stories that are on these pages of comic books and, and the, the stories and the characters and the illustrations coming to life on the screen, whether it be the big screen or the small screen. So I was really interested to one, learn more about the comics, which uh, I haven't. I am going to read the comic book series, uh, probably do that sometime before season three. But uh, I wanted to, yeah, you know, I wanted to see this show and I wanted to eventually see how it adhered to the comics, deviated from the comics. I've given myself uh, a little bit of a uh, leeway to kind of look into the comics and see how much or how little it is following along with the comic book series. Um, I've tried not to spoil too much, but there again, I, I think the, the series Sweet Tooth is running fairly parallel with the the comic book series and while they may not get to the same place in the same way you're still getting to some of those benchmark uh points uh, th throughout the series I, and you know I, I think that is a a good adaptation can do that it can get to the same end through different routes than the comics because sometimes comic books uh sometimes novels and short stories uh, you know, they're written very well. The stories are interesting and engaging, but sometimes they're not very cinematic. And something that reads well on the paper 
the written page doesn't necessarily play out well when you're seeing it visualized on the screen. So uh, all this to say that uh, I, I've just really become engrossed in in Sweet Tooth, uh, the series, and finding out more about the comics. And eventually, like I said, I'm going to end up reading the comics. And maybe once we do season three and kind of do a series wrap up, because season three is coming out, it is going to be the final season. And I'll be able to kind of go in a little more depth as to the differences between the series and the comics. So I'm excited to do that, but I'm also excited to talk about uh, season two of Sweet Tooth, which came out in late April. I think you leave the first episode dropped, or I think the whole series dropped. Uh, that's, that's the one thing about Netflix. They drop a series all on one day, and then you either you either have to scramble to watch all eight episodes, or in this case, all eight episodes, uh, so you can talk about it right away. And, and I like to enjoy a series. I don't like to feel like I'm you know, mainlining it in one day or one weekend, even though I have done that. I don't like doing that. I like to take my time, watch a couple episodes a day over a few days, and, and really drink in the story and drink in the visuals and, and drink in the characters. And that's what I did with this. So I, I decided, you know, I'm going to let this sit for a little bit. So because Netflix is is horrible about when something big drops and everybody rushes to watch it and you can't get anything to connect or everything buffers. I know there are some people out there that will say that's your internet connection. I call bullshit on that because I got a perfectly fine internet connection with every other streaming service. But at any rate, uh, I let it sit for a little bit. Then I decided to watch it at a nice, even pace. And I realized that, you know, people, if they want to hear what I think about this, uh, they'll still be interested. Hopefully, you'll be interested uh, when I finally get to it. And I finally got to Sweet Tooth. Maybe a couple weeks late, but hey, I really enjoyed watching it. So uh, if if not being right on top of things like some of the other reviewers out there, some of the other commentators, uh, so be it. I, I want to sit there and enjoy a show like this. And, and I did. So we're going to talk about this series the way we always kind of do, kind of through the lens of the characters. And, and in this particular season, we get a lot of the main characters kind of breaking off into smaller groups. Uh, so we're going to talk about those little groups and the characters in those groups and their place in the story. But from here on out, we are going to have spoilers. So if you don't want anything spoiled for Sweet Tooth, if you haven't watched it yet, go watch Sweet Tooth. Watch it at your own pace. Don't feel like you got to rush. But then come back and hear what I think about the series and see if it uh, jibes with what you felt about the series and what you liked or didn't like about it. If you have watched it uh, or you're a little ambivalent, you, you don't know if you're going to watch it, but you're interested to hear about it anyway, then uh, we're going to press on. But from here on out, there are going to be spoilers for Sweet Tooth Season 2. So one of the things that are, are kind of weird for me because... Uh, I didn't do an episode on Sweet Tooth Season 1 because this podcast wasn't in existence uh, when Sweet Tooth Season 1 came out. So I, I know that I'm going to feel compelled to talk about things that happened in Season 1. But if you've watched Sweet Tooth Season 1, then you know that already. If you haven't, then I suggest you go back and watch Sweet Tooth Season 1, watch Sweet Tooth Season 2, and I don't think you're going to be disappointed because this is such a an interesting story. And we will talk about this, uh, just a brief overview 
uh, for anyone that uh, hasn't watched it but still interested to hear about this uh, season. But Sweet Tooth is essentially uh, living in a world where two events happen simultaneously. The introduction of these hybrids, these babies born with uh, human bodies with animal characteristics. Our, our main character, Sweet Tooth, is a little boy who has antlers and some of the senses like a, a deer. And you have the hybrids introduced, and then you have this pandemic, if you will. And they use the word pandemic a lot, and I thought that was kind of very smart of them because it, it made it relatable. Uh, you've got this pandemic going on in this story, and we had just come out of a pandemic. I mean, in 2021, we were still kind of in the midst of it, uh, to be quite honest. And, and people you know, made a lot of parallels uh, between the pandemic and this. Uh, they didn't go overboard trying to make it direct parallels, but you saw some of the th same things, uh, masks and, and uh, keeping your distance, uh, isolating and things like that. So it really was relatable to uh, a 2021 audience who, who knew what it was like to go through a pandemic. Uh, because they were going through it at that time. But you have this pandemic going on with something that's really, I, I don't know if they ever, I think they have like a, a number name for it, kind of like H1N1, that sort of thing. Oh yes, it was the H5G9 virus. But colloquially, or in the vernacular of, of this uh, story, they call it the sick, where people get sick and they they die. It's very contagious. I can't remember if they said 98% of the population is wiped out. But one of the telltale signs is your pinky starts to tremble. Almost a little Parkinson's-ish. But that is kind of the way uh, a visual in this in this story. I don't know if that's directly from the comics or not. But in this story uh, on Netflix, uh, it, it's a, a good visual cue as to who is sick and who is not. And where we find ourselves at the beginning of Season 2, Gus and Big Man have been uh, separated. And you've kind of got three groups for the for the most part, um, there's four groups, but but two of these groups are kind of together, so to speak. You've got, uh, of course, Big Man Tommy Jeopard, who is separated from Gus. Gus and all of the kids in the zoo, uh, all the hybrids in the zoo, have been taken captive by the Last Men. They're kind of like the the big group of bad guys, the militant uh, militia type that are are trying to to run things by force uh, they've been taken uh, captive in the the zoo along with the zoo it's just kind of this stronghold now for the last men so you've got gus you've got wendy you've got all the other little hybrid kids in this zoo along with abbott and his men and also dr singh and his wife uh, well, we'll talk about all these characters coming up. I just kind of want to set the scene of where we're at. Uh, you've got big man Tommy Jeppard and Amy Eden. She is a former therapist who was was caring for these kids at this zoo, uh, these hybrid kids at this zoo. They're kind of on their own trying to find a way to get the kids back and rescue them. And then you've got the Becky Walker character, also known as Bear, who uh, she she's not really with anybody. She's kind of got her own little story that goes on as, as she's kind of lost in the wilderness, trying to make her way to Gus and rescue him herself. She meets people along the way and... And kind of has a an interesting story that that 
the end of her arc in this season was was kind of nice. But we've got essentially these three groups. So we're going to talk about these groups and talk about the actors and the characters within each group separately. So first off, we're going to talk about the zoo. And I guess you could say there's actually five groups because if you count the General Abbott and his younger brother, Johnny, that would be kind of a another group as well but there again it is with the two other groups the sings and the hybrids all at this zoo and and that's where you get a bulk of this story where you have the kids being captive and you really get to meet all the hybrid kids that Amy Eden was was caring for and they they did a really good job I think with casting these kids they're very interesting uh you know some of them were were silent uh because uh, you know, some hybrids don't have vocal cords, so they can't speak. Uh, they use like a, a sign language. But all the kids, I thought, did a really good job. And I thought the special effects on these kids were were pretty good. These hybrid kids, I mean, they did a, a better job this year, I think, than last year. Last year, it was kind of like, here's the show, and here's what we did with it, what we could do with the, the budget I'm sure they had. And I think it was successful enough that they... They must have got a bigger budget because the special effects, whether it be practical or whether it be CG, were much better this year than they were in that first season. And a lot of that was spent, I think, on the making these kids uh, into hybrids. And and I think they did a really good job. And, and there was a lot of use of practical effects, practical prosthetics and headpieces with horns sticking out of them and, and, you know, makeup work. They did a really good job with that, but then they kind of intermingled that with some CG work. And then there was the one character, Bobby. I really was fascinated by this character because at first, I think when you first see the character at the end of season one, I think he's completely CG and it wasn't great CG. It wasn't horrible, but it wasn't great. And I thought, oh shit, this is this is where we get into completely CG characters and they're going to be really obvious. But the one thing I liked about what they did with the Bobby character this year was the fact that they, they used some CG versions of him, which uh, the CG seemed a little better. I don't know if it was, but it, it seemed a little better. But they also used a lot of uh, practical puppetry and animatronics and things like that, which I loved the mixture of, of all those different sorts of special effects to bring this character to life. And, and to life, they brought it because it was really such a cute and fun character. And uh, I, I don't know who... Uh, right offhand did the voice work for Bobby but it was just uh it was it all worked together to to make a really interesting and adorable character but the main focus is uh, a little bit on Wendy she's the little uh, girl that kind of has the pig snout and has the pig characteristics as a hybrid uh she's essentially Amy Eden's uh, adopted daughter and we got a a bit of a reveal late last season, late, late in season one, that she is the, I don't know if she's an adopted sister or a foster sister or a half-sister, but she is a sister to the Becky character, the bear character. And they're so separated in this, and you, you kind of get some reminders, some visual cues that, yes, they are uh, sisters uh, of some sort, and 
you're just waiting for that reunion that that finally does get paid off at the end. And we'll kind of talk about that when we get to that portion of the story. But to get a lot about Wendy, uh, you get a lot of meeting these these different hybrid kids. You get a lot about Gus. And then that is the main focus of this story. Gus is the titular sweet tooth character. And they delve a lot into his relationship with Dr. Singh in this zoo complex. Dr. Singh is trying to find a cure for the sick and he thinks it's related to hybrids and they kind of go into the research that Gus's quote-unquote mom, Birdie, plays by Amy Sametz, uh, who, who we'll talk about a little later as well. I think she's going to be more prominently featured in season two three we got a little more of her in season two didn't get much of her in season one but uh but we'll again talk about that coming up but dr singh finds uh birdie's research at, at the lab that that gus was essentially created in and they delve a lot into him uh trying to find this what's the secret behind gus what uh, what created gus say where did he come from how is he the key to this cure and he thinks he finds the cure and doesn't and and it's really kind of a roller coaster ride for the dr singh character uh i think he's the first actor i'm really going to talk about because he he was really i mean he was front and center in season one but i think really the the dr singh character in season two really got uh probably one of the more interesting and tragic arcs Adil Akhtar, uh, hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, but he is the actor who plays Dr. Singh and just does a, a wonderful job with this character. Not an actor I'm I'm completely familiar with. I mean, I know I've seen him in a few things, the Enola Holmes movie. Uh, I know he's been in those, but just not an actor I've seen in a lot of different things. And He's an actor that I'm looking forward to seeing him in more things because he's really a good actor and he does a really good job with Dr. Singh's journey on this because he goes from a, a desperate man trying to find a cure for his wife because his wife, Ronnie, has the sick and he's he's been kind of holding it off with this kind of temporary serum that he makes from extracting stem cells or whatever from hybrid kids. He's essentially killing kids to keep his wife alive. He's trying to find a permanent cure. And he goes from this desperate man just trying to keep his wife alive, just trying to keep he and his wife alive because they're they're also captured as well by uh, General Abbott. And they are just as much in a state of threat as the the hybrid kids, Gus and Wendy and and all the other kids. But you go from that desperation born out of just wanting to to save your wife and protect her to this mania of finding a cure even beyond saving his wife when his wife Ronnie finds out that he's killing these hybrid kids and she finally gets to meet the hybrid kids and realize that they're not the animals everybody makes them out to be they're they're like little kids and that these little kids are being killed just to keep her alive and the crisis of conscience that that creates in her and that she she realizes that you know her time's done she's not gonna she's not gonna fight it anymore she's not gonna let these little kids be killed just to keep her alive and dr singh doesn't want to stop he's he's continuing to push for to find this cure because it's no longer about 
saving his wife. It is about maybe hubris uh, of of needing to to be the one to to solve this mystery and to to find out what's going on and and to create the cure and and it pushes he and his wife away and at the end his wife leaves him to to go off and eventually die and he's not even there when she leaves because he's off without getting into all the, the nuts and bolts of it he's off still trying to find that cure not to save her but just for his own personal need to be to be a doctor to be a scientist that was more important than just spending the last days he has with his wife and then the realization he comes to that realization at the end that he effed up and his wife is gone and he has he has nothing and he's still on the verge of needing to find out what Gus is. Gus is the key to all this, but he realizes he screwed up. And it's just a, a wonderful roller coaster ride. The humanity versus the inhumanity of this character and, you know, flip flopping back and forth it was just a, a wonderful thing to watch with uh, Adil Akhtar playing this role of Dr. Singh. And he just did a, a wonderful job with this. I, I really enjoyed his performance. I, I think it was probably one of the. Uh, best performances in this series and then this that's saying a lot being a series full of really good performances including uh the the actress that plays his wife ronnie Singh, eliza villani she is a, a wonderful actress uh, i enjoy her because she again just has such uh portrays such great humanity in this uh from the not wanting to die just just wanting to to hold on and then the realization of what it's taking to keep her alive. And she's not going to let that happen anymore. She's not going to let these kids die to keep her alive. It just the, the portrayal of that humanity uh, was just heartbreaking and, and heartwarming. It's kind of one of those things where if you ever have any loss of faith in the goodness of humanity, it's characters like this that make you hope that that there are people out there like that. But but the actress, uh, Eliza Villani, she, you, you've probably seen her in several things. I know she's done a lot of TV, like iZombie. Uh, she was in the revival of the X-Files. She was in Supernatural, The Flash, Riverdale, uh, just a lot of genre stuff. So she's no stranger to genre, and she did a, a really good job in this. She didn't die off screen that I know of. I mean, she was still alive at the end of it, riding off on a horse that she found. And I'm hoping that this character shows up in season three. I know I know enough, or maybe I don't know enough about the comics to know if she shows up in in the end of the story. But uh, I hope we do see her again, the, the Ronnie Singh character, because I, I really did love this actress and this character. And it really was one of the, the things I really enjoyed, especially all those little cat and mouse scenes between her and General Abbott were just really fun to watch. Another really interesting aspect of this zoo storyline was the relationship between the two brothers, General Abbott, played by Neil Sandilands. Again, another actor who's done a lot of things that uh, you may have seen on TV. I mean, he was on uh, House, uh, The Americans, The 100, NCIS, The Flash, uh, a little bit of, you know, a little bit of genre in there. So it's nice to see him show up in Sweet Tooth. He played this role of General Abbott so well because the, the character of General Abbott is kind of, 
I don't know how he looks compared to the character in the comics. Because, like I said, I didn't read the comics. But the, the imagery of how they had uh, Neil Sandilands as General a- Abbott uh, made up, his beard all kind of flared out, these red lensed glasses, these round glasses that kind of flipped up on the sides, the, the bald head, the, the military garb that he was wearing. It looked like it was straight out of a comic book. It looked like a cross between a comic book character and like a Sonic the Hedgehog or Mega Man villain for all the old school gamers out there. But, uh, but it was a really interesting look and he did a really good job with the menace of this character because I think one of the great ways to portray menace is to portray a certain sense of charismatic charm. You know, megalomaniacs aren't evil mustache twirling villains that, that make you aware that they're a villain from the beginning. They are people who make you feel comfortable. They make you feel like you're important. They make you feel like they've got your best interest in mind and they're very charming and they're very, you know, you draw more flies with with sugar than you do with vinegar. And he played that real well, that charm and that Southern sophistication. And then when you did see the evilness come out of this character, it made it all the more jarring. It made it all the more chilling. And Neil Sandilands just did a, a wonderful job with that. It could feel at times like it was a little over the top, uh, his portrayal. But I think it works with this because this is a, a comic book adaptation. It is a larger-than-life character. And in scenarios like this where it is based on a comic book i don't mind if there's a little garishness if there's a little bit of over-the-top flamboyance to to a character like this and especially this type of character like i said a megalomaniac that uh is you know trying to to conquer what's left of a of dying world it i think he did a, a wonderful job with this and his relationship with his younger brother uh johnny abbott played by marlon williams and you get some of the backstory between these two characters and how he promised his mother uh general abbott promised to take care of his younger brother johnny was just fascinating the johnny character was was a wonderful character because here he is trying to to live up to the expectations of his brother uh, his older brother general abbott who he always seems to be failing and he, you can tell he does have a conscience he does have a soul and a heart and the moments when he turns on his brother to to help like gus escape and and that was heartwarming there was such a beautiful scene now if you don't know anything about marlon williams he is a singer-songwriter from New Zealand, uh, plays guitar, he's an actor, and they kind of work that story into the the General Abbott, Johnny Abbott storyline, how they used to, they thought they were going to be the next Simon and Garfunkel uh, playing guitar and, and Johnny singing, and they had this beautiful scene where they're flying in a helicopter towards the climax of this, and... General Abbott asked Johnny to to sing a song, and he starts singing Simon and Garfunkel, The Boxer, which is a, a beautiful and haunting song. And and I just had a feeling, I, I knew this wasn't going to end well for Johnny. And just because of that song, I don't know what it was about that song. Maybe it was the haunted nature of, of The Boxer, but 
it was it was so sad and melancholy and and then there when you get to just before the climax when Johnny's telling General Abbott to to stop and and General Abbott's just gonna let him walk away and as Johnny's walking away General Abbott shoots him in the back it was just a, a heartbreaking end to a, a heartbroken character because he's a good guy uh, he didn't want to be caught up in all this uh, you know warmongering and warlording that his, his older brother did and he paid for it with a bullet in his back from his older brother now the one character i didn't really i, I touched on uh but didn't really get to talk about the actor that much is the gus sweet tooth character which uh, is a, such a fa fascinating character this little dear boy who's gone from a, a timid kid in the woods and now he's starting to to gain some confidence in himself as, uh, as somebody can survive, you know, over there for the first season, it was he had to stick with Big Man because he he couldn't survive on his own. Now he's starting to learn and get the confidence that he can survive on his own. And and being separated from Big Man, I think, has taught him this. And all of the the backstory and you know his taking leadership of the hybrids, uh, the hybrid kids, and helping them escape was was all wonderful for the character. His involvement with Doctor Singh and trying to discover his backstory, and we get a lot of those dream sequences where he kind of uh, gets high on those uh, purple flowers, the pollen from that, and kind of has the the visions of of some of his his youth was all very interesting and, and Christian Convery uh, the young actor who plays him is just I, I really enjoy this I don't know how they portray Sweet Tooth in the comics but I really love Christian Convery's portrayal of Sweet Tooth there's a a wide-eyed innocence to him there's a mischievous side there is a very caring side there is a like I said he's come into his own and I think in this season to a degree and you know he's goring people's legs with his antlers and and he plays that confidence well of a, a little kid who is scared you know hiding away in the woods to uh, a young man who's out ready for adventure now and, and Christian Convery I, I really enjoyed him as an actor a young actor and he's done quite a bit, especially in genre work. You know, he was in uh, Supernatural, Legion, Lucifer. He did a really great job as Henry in the uh, the movie Cocaine Bear, which I saw here uh, a few weeks ago. And just, a, like I said, a, a wonderful young actor who I think he's got a bright future ahead of him. But I, I'm excited to see how this character ends up because we really got to see the character grow in true character development we got to see him go from somebody that needs to be protected out in the, the great wide world to somebody who can fend for themselves and take care of themselves in the great wide world and christian convery uh, was integral in in bringing this character to life in in this way and did a really good job i mean there was a lot of great work with the writing of this character but christian convery uh a wonderful job as sweet tooth and again beyond this series i'm really excited to see where he goes as an actor then of course you have the bear character also uh known as becky played by uh, stefania levy owen and again an actress i i know a little bit about like she's 
been in some things uh, I've really enjoyed. She was uh, Beth in the Krampus movie in 2015 and some other things here and there. But uh, she does a really good job with this character. Of course, Bear was the leader of the animal army. And it kind of gets brought back up in her story in this. She starts out not necessarily on her own. She's kind of left at this house with a, a woman that kind of has all of Birdie's old scientific notes and she gets this cassette tape from Birdie uh, that Birdie had left for the Richard character Pubba played by Will Forte but Bear knows that she has to to take this and get it to Gus because she actually does speak with Birdie very briefly on a satellite phone and this has this is supposed to have some answers for Gus as to to where he came from and why Birdie left him uh, the way that she did. Now, when Gus finally listens to this tape, it's not very informative to us as an audience because it doesn't really divulge any information as to where Gus came from or how he came about. Those are all things that we'll probably learn in the series finale or at least in the last season at some point so there really wasn't anything major that way and it only explained to Gus why she had to leave and leave him with Pubba and and go off to try and you know protect him which are things we already kind of knew uh, given the flashbacks that we saw in season one between her and the Richard character we saw some of those flashbacks again in this season between her and Richard when the government's crash on the facility and and she sends Gus off with Richard as as she tries to escape. So uh, nothing really like an earth-shattering revelation in that tape took place, which was a little disappointing. I, I thought we might get something, but it was a, a very big emotional piece for this because, you know, Gus gets to hear his de facto mother for the first time explaining you know why she why she left him and where she's at they they kind of uh unravel the mystery of where she is and discover that she is in alaska where things are going to head for season three so uh the whole tape uh mcguffin was uh, a little bit of a letdown from a from a viewer standpoint but uh, but the way they played it out and the effect on Gus and the effect on the story was was quite uh, sweet and sentimental, which uh, you know, this this story has a lot of that in it. It is called Sweet Tooth, for God's sake. So it's her mission to get this tape to Gus and and she she leaves this house as the last men attack. She meets up with these people that are traveling. He meets a dreamy young blonde haired boy who she finds out wants to join the last men. She kind of has a story arc where she infiltrates the last men training with him uh, to become a member of the last men to kind of get into the zoo this boy that she meets, she finds out that his father was killed by the animal army, and she's not sure if maybe she's the one that killed his father, but they kind of have a, it's not a love interest thing, although you see the makings where it could have developed into something, but once he realizes that she's former animal army, when they meet up with, with Tiger and the betrayal he feels uh, from from her was all very interesting enough. Like I said, I, I don't know the source material 
well enough to know whether any of this was in there or if it was just created to give this character something to do. Now, there have been a lot of shows where, especially adaptations, where a character really doesn't have anything to do, so they'll create something for them. And and sometimes it works, but a lot of times it doesn't work. It can come across as a little boring. This felt like it may have been uh, just something for this character to do. Uh, because it, it may or may not have gone the way the, the comic book went. I, I don't know. Like I said, I, I haven't read the comics. But whatever it was, uh, if it's from the comic, great. Uh, if it's not, if it's something they created, just to, like I said, give this character a little more to do in this season, uh, it, it was enjoyable. I mean, for, for her not being a primary character and to give her a bit of a story arc and to be, give her character... Uh, a bit of a, a character arc because, you know, she has the relationship with Tiger that betrayed her and and the reconciliation there was was interesting and and she's losing one sister, but she's gaining back a sister with the Wendy character by the end. Again, things we'll talk about when we get closer to to discussing the the finale of this this season but i really liked what they did with this character uh it's interesting enough uh i like the actress who plays becky slash bear i thought she does a really good job i would like to see her in a series where she had a little more to carry as far as uh, being more of a lead character in a series because i think she she would do quite well in, in something like that. Now we come to the two characters that I don't know as if I cared that much about their story in this season, but I did care about the characters because I think these two actors and these two characters, uh, along with the actors uh, who played the characters of Dr. Singh and, and Ronnie, I think they also, uh, like these two characters, had, had the lion's share of the dramatic weight of this season on their shoulders and i think uh both actors do a really good job there's of course the tommy jeppard character played by nonzo anozi and the amy eden character played by Danya ramirez of course both very established actors of course uh Danya ramirez i mean she's been in a ton of stuff x-men the last stand she played Callisto in that she was a recurring character in season seven of buffy the vampire slayer she was in season six of the sopranos she was a main cast member in season seven of once upon a time so uh, has done a, a lot of stuff and I really like her as the Amy Eden character. She she portrays a a motherly caring. Uh, she has that motherly quality about her that that mama bear quality about her that she's very soft and tender and and loving but stern with her kids not stern maybe that's not the but but you know she she sets boundaries and she's a good mother uh even though she doesn't have any kids herself but she's a good adoptive mother to these these hybrids that have become her kids and and when they're threatened she you see the mama bear come out and then when she is kind of separated from her adoptive kids you you see an even more uh, aggressive woman trying to do whatever it takes nobody is going to stand in her way of finding her kids and rescuing her kids and she kind of is teamed up with the jeopard character the jep character played by uh, nonzo Anozi, uh, who again uh, another well 
seasoned actor because he has just done so many different things over the years in film and in television. Television is probably where I'm mostly uh, familiar with his work. Of course, he was in uh, a few episodes of Game of Thrones back in the when Daenerys was in Karth one of the main characters in that storyline. Most recently, he played the voice of the Wyvern and the Sandman for Netflix. He also played Gorian Shard in season three of The Mandalorian, was in a couple episodes of that, and did the the voice work. I really loved how they used a lot of puppetry, uh, old school Star Wars effects, but then to have his booming voice as, as the voice of the space pirate was was a lot of fun to, to see him show up in that. But he plays this Jeopard character, and the Jeopard character is probably the character that is aesthetically different from the counterpart in the in the comic series and that's probably the only uh, character I'm really familiar with in, in doing what little research I did because like I said I didn't want to give myself uh, give too much away of how things went in the comics uh, but I wanted to get a better idea of what some of the differences were and the Jep character is probably one of the bigger differences because in the comics he is a you know he's a tall white guy he's a former hockey goon uh played in the NHL I believe or played hockey and and the character in this is very similar but Physically, of course, uh, Nonzo Nozi is a, a very large uh, black man, and uh, I, I like how they they adapted the character because he looks like he looks like he could have been an offense or a defensive lineman in the NFL, and he plays an ex football player. Uh, so it, I, I like how they they took the character and made it similar but different, but still it felt very much at the heart of the Jep character, uh, the big man character. And I thought Nonzo Inozzi does a wonderful job with this character. And I like, uh, I listened to some interviews with him and he talked about the fact that his Jep doesn't look like the Jep in the comics. And he understands that there are a lot of fans of the comics that wanted to see that version of the character but all he could do is just play his version of of tommy jeopard and i think he you know for not knowing the comics being a hockey fan i, I love to see hockey characters show up in comic books and and movies and tv and, and whatnot but uh but i, I really liked what uh nonzo Inozzi, uh did with the jep character because he really did embody everything that this character needed to be he embodied the bad Badassness. He's a very intimidating man, a very imposing figure. And, you know, in that first season, he's very standoffish with Gus. And but then, you know, comes to comes to accept him into his little uh not even a group. It's just always been him. And and with Gus, it's it's you know, he's gone from being a family, he and his father, to just him, and, and they become a kind of become a family. And this you see that. Uh, that bond grow even though they're apart because Jep realizes how much that sweet tooth Gus means to him and you feel those fatherly instincts come out in him and you know there's a backstory with this character how his wife and, and child died and he never got to be a father and now he's getting a chance to be a father with with sweet tooth and those paternal instincts coming out in him much like the amy eden character has those maternal instincts coming out in her the paternal instincts are coming out in in tommy jeopard in this story and him fighting 
doing the same thing that the Amy Eden character is doing, whatever it takes to save his boy. Now, where they differ, the Amy Eden character, she's she doesn't think uh, Jep is good for Sweet Tooth because she finds out that he's formerly a last man. There's a bit of a betrayal there, but it all gets kind of washed over very easily at the end when when he rescues everybody. But but she's wanting to rescue them all. All Jep wants is Sweet Tooth. He doesn't care about anybody else, and that's kind of those loner instincts coming out in his. He just wants what's his. And everybody else, it doesn't matter. He wants his boy and, and everyone else doesn't matter. And I think that's kind of where you're going to get that that story. I think Sweet Tooth, a.k.a. Gus, is going to be teaching Jep that, you know, he, he needs family. He needs to care about more than just himself, more than just Gus. He needs to care about, you know, all these kids now. And I, I like where this story is going to go. I like the, the characters. I like... Like I said, uh, Nonzo Anuzi does a wonderful job because he plays the sternness, he plays the intimidation, but he also, you know, he, you see the caring in him. You see that that fatherly figure come out in his acting and uh, a, a really fantastic character and a fantastic portrayal of a character. Even though it's not exactly how it is in the comics, I, I think he does a wonderful representation of the Tommy Jeopard character in this series. But it all comes down to this this big climax where you've got Amy Eden and this group of, of people that uh, I can't remember what their name is, but they have airplanes and they're bombarding the zoo with all this trash and, and fake, you know, biochemical weapons. Jep gets captured and Gus actually rescues him. Uh, Jep gets Gus and all the, the hybrid kids out. Uh, they finally meet up with, with Amy Eden and take off. They, you know, it all kind of ends very conveniently because then that's where they run into Bear. And then they all head to Yellowstone to where Gus and, and Pubba used to live, the Will Forte character. And they go back to the cabin and they're going to make a life there. But they find out that General Abbott has found their location and he's coming, uh, not with his full army, just with, uh, you know, a dozen men or so. <laughs> it, it, you know, I, I suppose in the hubris of this character, he probably felt like he didn't need his whole army to come take out uh, two adults and a bunch of kids. But they set that stuff up uh, Home Alone style with all sorts of traps and whatnot. And it was really interesting. And, and well, it was, I guess it was a believable fight scene where you got the Jep character. You've got Amy Eden. You've got Gus. Uh, all kind of taken out these members of the last men and eventually General Abbott uh, taking them all out one by one. And that's kind of, it was it was very smart how they did it. That's how you would have to take out uh, a larger fighting force than yourself. Take them out one at a time, guerrilla warfare style. And then you have that, that scene at the end where Jep's injured, General Abbott has Gus in this herd of buffalo stampede uh, General Abbott and then they kind of uh, part like the Red Sea around Gus and leave him unharmed. It made the, the hairs on your back of your neck stand on end. It gave you goosebumps in how they played that whole scene and the awe and wonder of it all. 
And they almost made you believe that Gus may have maybe caused that stampede. Like he has some sort of mental uh, psychic control or ability to speak with the animals. I don't know. They, they didn't really go into that in depth, but they kind of led you to believe that may have been the case, which all kind of leads into the, the mystery of Gus, who he is, what he is, where he came from, how he came about, and... I have to imagine, again, this is something that is going to be explored a little more once we get into season three. And then that that horrible turn where uh, General Abbott is still quasi-alive and shoots Gus in the back with a crossbow. And, and you're like, oh my God, what? And of course, uh, yeah, I should have known that nothing was going to happen. But they kind of time jump a, a few weeks and, and Gus recovers but it was kind of a WTF moment in this, which uh, there were there were several WTF moments, uh, I think, in this. I think that was one. Uh, Tiger being killed off was, was kind of a... I, I didn't see that coming. Uh, in a show where they don't kill off a lot of people, in the middle of a, a pandemic and a plague, uh, not very many of your main characters are, are killed off. And she wasn't the main character, but she was big in season one for a brief minute when they ran in with the animal army. And the reconciliation between her and Bear, you maybe should have thought something was up, but I didn't expect them to kill her off. I honestly expected her to go, them to go their separate ways and, and whatnot. Uh, the Johnny Abbott character, him getting killed was kind of a surprise, but it, again, it probably shouldn't have been. And it really kind of played into General Abbott being a grade A bastard. And, and one of the worst kinds of evil, a hypocritic evil, because he, uh, you know, was was scolding Johnny for, for pointing a gun at his back. But then he turned around and shot Johnny in the back. Uh, it was such a, yeah, like I said, a, a tragic end to a very uh, heartbreaking character. And also uh, another kind of WTF moment, finding out the Amy Eden character had the sick uh, was a bit of a surprise and a bit of a shock. I wasn't expecting that, and and of course, once they did that time jump after after Sweet Tooth was shot in the back with the crossbow, uh, they they jump to a funeral scene, and you're almost wondering if it's Sweet Tooth. I'm like, it, it can't be. There's one more season, but then it turned out that the Amy Eden character had passed away in the time between you know that that big battle and and now, and of course, they're having a, a funeral for her. And we find out that Sweet Tooth is okay. But having the Amy Eden character uh, contract the sick and, and killing her character off was a, a little bit of a surprise. I didn't see that coming. But all this really kind of just sets up the big final conclusion to this series. And season three has been greenlit. Uh, and it will be the final season for this. And they're kind of going to... Get into the Alaska storyline, if you, you know anything about the comics. Uh, and that's kind of where this is all headed. We get a lot of flashbacks to find out that the Birdie character, Gus's kind of scientist mom, she is up in Alaska. There's some things going on there with uh, this old boat and this old crew that was exploring. Uh, maybe a giant deer man. I, I don't know. Uh, but I'm pretty sure, just given by what they showed us there, and and the secret behind all of this, the hybrids, the sick, 
uh, everything that's going on. I think the answers are in Alaska, and we've got our main characters, Gus, Big Man, Bear, and Wendy. They're all making their way to Alaska. Dr. Singh uh, realizes, uh, I can't remember exactly how, but he figures out through some clues that they're our answers in Alaska, and that's kind of where this is all going to culminate, I think. And I'll be interested to see how they they wrap up this series because it's been fairly engaging through these first two seasons. And I'm really excited also because I plan on reading the Sweet Tooth series before season three comes out. So uh, by the time we talk about season three and we kind of do a series wrap-up, of Sweet Tooth, I'll have a better idea and a better understanding of the comic book versus the series and be able to talk a little more about the differences and, and what I liked about the differences and, and what I didn't like about some of the differences. So I'm really excited about that uh, because, like I said, this has been a fun series. I, is it the greatest series ever? No, I, I, I think there are a lot of risks that aren't taken with this. I think they could take a few more risks, but there again, this is based on a comic series and I don't know how the comic series goes and whether it even takes the risks that I kind of want this series to take. So if it's a faithful adaptation, then then maybe maybe there aren't any risks to be had and, and that's that's fine. I would rather a series be pretty good and stay true to the adaptation than be great and just totally disregard any of the source material. It's not that I don't want to see a great show, but you know, for those that love the source material, the comics, uh, it's kind of a betrayal if you change everything that that people loved about the comics. It's kind of like Stephen King and Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Stanley Kubrick made a very atmospheric, great, creepy, scary movie. But it really ripped the heart out of what made Stephen King's The Shining the great novel that it is. But ultimately, this is a fun show. Uh, It's a show that's not so bad that, you know, families can't watch it, kids can't watch it. There's a little bit of language, no nudity or anything like that. No real gore. But there's a lot of action, a lot of heart, a lot of fun, a lot of excitement. You had a really good villain in General Abbott in this season. Uh, and we got to see that really kind of come to bear. There's kind of a setup for a, a potential new villain, Mrs. Zhang, who may have hybrids caged as kind of, uh, out for, for lack of a better term, hunting dogs, so to speak. So I, I don't think season three will be lacking in a good villain. Uh, but I'll be interested to see how it all kind of how it all kind of culminates. And of course, I was just checking, but yeah, I guess we aren't going to have to wait too terribly long for a third season because uh, it was announced that season three has already been filmed in New Zealand. So so excited to see uh, when this is going to come out. Maybe we will get it out next year. But yeah, for, for people that want their fantasy stories a little more hardcore, you're probably gonna, not going to like this. It's probably going to be a little too kiddy, but I... I like fantasy. I like it in all shapes and forms. And and I like the childlike wonder that a story like this puts on the small screen. And I, I've enjoyed Sweet Tooth quite a bit. So much so that I'm really excited to read the graphic novel uh, sometime here in, in the next couple months. So, uh, like I said, looking forward to, to reading that and kind of seeing how it all 
compares to the three seasons we've got of Sweet Tooth. And and I really have to tip my hat to, to Netflix for even letting this uh, series play out because I, I don't know what the viewership is like. They're all very secretive over that. But uh, this was a series I was afraid was going to get canned by Netflix because they will inexplicably just cancel a series for no damn reason at all. So I was really happy to see that this was a story that they I, I'm pretty sure they wanted to tell in three seasons and they're getting the opportunity to to finish it out and and end this series how they want to. So really excited to see what happens in season three. Hopefully we won't have to wait too much longer for that. Because all in all, it's it's been a fun ride. It's it's good storytelling. Uh, I think the dialogue is really good. I've enjoyed the characters, uh, which you have to give you know part and parcel to the the source material, but part and parcel to the story makers in this series and the writers in this series uh, writing these characters quite well. The actors who just portray these, I, you know, there's not a bad actor in the bunch. Like I said, the General Abbott character could seem a little over the top, but I think that was that was this character and for the most part all of the characters all of the actors are, are wonderful really love christian convery and nonzo nosy these two i think are the heart and soul of this series and we didn't get these two together in season two like we did in season one but we're gonna have them back together in season three so really excited to see their chemistry because they've got a great a great chemistry about them a father son a friend chemistry and it's really fun to watch and i think that's probably at the heart of it what i would best describe this it's a fun series uh like i said the acting and the the characters the special effects i think are are really good and they got better with this second season. I look forward to them being better in the third season as they have a little more time to fine tune some of those special effects. The locations and the, the set design is all really good, beautiful landscapes. New Zealand has such wonderful landscapes as we saw in like Lord of the Rings, but but they also have great studios and they can, you know, they can mimic uh, just about any place you want there and the you know this the the sets and the scenery are all fantastic and, and i really like the music uh jeff grace does the music in this and i, I think the original scores are are very good they really set a great tone uh, there's a lot of really good needle drops and you know, everything from folk style music to to various types and just everything they do and they've, they've put into this is is top quality and I, I have to imagine that is probably part and parcel to Robert Downey Jr. and his wife are uh, some of the executive producers on this. And you have to imagine if they wanted to get behind this story, uh, that they wanted to make sure that everything was put in place for this story to to come to life on the screen and be done right. And, and I think they are. Like I said, I, I don't know the source material as well as I would like. And I'm going to rectify that here before season three comes out. But as far as what I've watched on the screen, it's just been a really fun ride uh, to watch this story play out. And the effects have been great. The story has been great. The acting has been great. And really, it's going to be sad to see this story end 
but uh, but I'm glad we are going to get to see an ending in season three. So hopefully you enjoyed Sweet Tooth season two as much as I did and looking forward to season three. I want to thank everyone for listening to my thoughts on Sweet Tooth season two. You can find out more about what's going on with Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop on our Facebook page. We're always posting trailers and uh, to TV and, and movies. We're also posting articles that I find all over the internet about the horror fantasy and science fiction you love, trying to add my two sense uh what i think about what we're posting about as well as you can check us out on instagram for everything that's going on with odds bodkins curiosity shop this podcast that you're listening to and no matter where you're listening to this podcast please subscribe to it follow it like it whatever you gotta do share it with anyone that you know that loves horror fantasy and science fiction get the word out uh that's why i do this um help us build those numbers up and no matter what you do please leave a review five stars will be awesome but whatever review you leave we do appreciate that so until next time thank you for visiting odds bodkin's curiosity shop We hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. (laughs) Ha 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 ha!